And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The U. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. The new Miami. The new Miami. The new Miami. Surge, surge. It's a cane thing when we walk through. With the U ain't no bark, dude. Straight dog when we bring the fight. Ain't scared of no bright lights. It's prime time. Welcome back to the Wide Ride Podcast. I'm Manny Navarro. Beat writer for the Athletic of the Miami Hurricanes. Also cover the NBA Finals, the Miami Heat, a whole bunch of different things for the Athletic. And uh, but we're talking Hurricanes today, and a very disappointing 42 to 17 loss to Clemson. I know a lot of Miami fans are disappointed. Uh, they had high expectations for that game, and the Hurricanes really came out and got slaughtered uh, pretty decisively by the number one ranked team in the country. Uh, we're going to get Mike Zimmerman on here in a minute to talk about some of the subjects uh, that Miami fans have on their minds. But I wanted to look ahead this week to, to uh, the Pittsburgh game. Uh, Pittsburgh is 3-2, and two, and it's a really important game for Miami in the sense that now that we know that the Hurricanes really aren't even close to playing on Clemson's level, there are seven games left in this season where I think Manny Diaz has to prove that not only can he make the right moves in the offseason to bring in a quarterback, an offensive coordinator, a kicker, a defensive end, and you know, sort of attack the transfer portal the way that he needed to, um, he's got to win the games now that Miami's been used to losing. And this sort of kept them in this mediocre, uh, vicious circle of 7-6 and six and 6-7. Six and seven. Uh, Miami fans want to see that this program can even if they don't get back to the ACC championship game this year, that they, at the very least, I think, finish on a strong note and don't lose to teams that, on paper, are not as talented as they are. We're going to talk to Roddy Jones, who works for the ACC Network at ESPN, uh, in a bit to sort of get his assessment of the rest of the conference and the way Miami sort of fits in and his view of Manny Diaz and Miami's long-term future. But Let's talk about Pittsburgh first because that's the next opponent. It's a 12 o'clock kickoff Saturday. I'm not going to spend all day talking about the Panthers. They lost by one point on a missed extra point to Boston College this past weekend. It's their second loss in a row. They lost to NC State the week before that. But they have an experienced team. Kenny Pickett started 33 games in his career. He's an effective quarterback, completing 60% of his passes, eight touchdowns, three interceptions. He's got a, uh, a wide receiver group led by Jordan Addison, a freshman wide receiver who, who starts in the slot. He's the leading receiver with 30 catches for 297 yards and three touchdowns. The offensive line that Pittsburgh brings back is actually pretty experienced. You've got five starters with double-digit career starts under their resume. So uh, from that perspective, uh, Miami's defensive front is going to be challenged. Uh, the backfield for uh, the Panthers is led right now by Vincent Davis, a sophomore out of Fort Lauderdale Cardinal Gibbons High School here in Miami's backyard. Uh, A.J. Davis is the senior, but he's been banged up the last couple games. And so we'll have to see uh, if he comes back against Miami on Saturday and what kind of effect he has. But 
Vincent Davis is a very elusive running back. He's averted 25 tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. Uh, we know how Miami does against uh, backs who can who can make you miss. They didn't have a very good day against Travis at the end this past week. And so I think from a defensive uh, standpoint, this is going to be a challenging game for Miami in the sense that a lot of the things that Pittsburgh does well um, in terms of lining up with odd fronts and, and getting the ball in the receiver's hands, it's going to test guys like Corey Couch and DJ Ivey. And, and Al Blades in the secondary. It's going to test Bubba Bolden and, and Amari Carter and Gervin Hall and those guys. And, and Miami, of course, you know, uh, they were hit with so many targeting penalties here in the, in the last two games. Three guys getting hit with targeting penalties. I have a feeling they're going to be a little apprehensive. But the defense is going to have to come out and do its job because Pittsburgh can score. This isn't just a defensive team. I know everybody looks at them that way, but that's not the case. And then as far as what uh, Pitt bring, brings defensively, Two of the best defensive ends in the country. Two guys that are highly productive at creating pressures and creating sacks. Rashad Weaver, who's a kid out of Cooper City High School here in Miami. Um, very good. 25 pressures this season. Um, I think I got him for four and a half sacks. And then Patrick Jones, uh, 6'5", 260. Both of those guys, by the way, 6'5", 260, 6'5", 270, fifth-year seniors. Patrick Jones has seven sacks, created 16 pressures this year. So... You look at it simply on paper, that's going to be a challenge for Miami's defensive, I mean, for offensive tackles. Uh, the Canes gave up four sacks to Clemson on Saturday. Couldn't run the football whatsoever. Um, I think you're going to see Pittsburgh stack the box and really challenge De'Ara King to try to connect with his receivers. And, and Miami's had a big problem with that this year. Uh, I looked this up uh, after the game, but De'Ara King is only 6 of 26 passing for 205 yards two touchdowns and two interceptions when the passes go deeper than 20 yards down the field that's a terrible percentage and so pittsburgh has an experienced secondary um they've got some guys back there who have double digit career starts including demar hamlin uh free safety paris ford both of those guys were four-star uh, recruits they're they're the starting safeties for Pitt. um the two cornerbacks jason pinnick marquise williams Pinnock actually has 13 career starts. He's got a couple picks. Uh, is really good in coverage. I think he's been targeted nine times or 28 times. He's only given up nine catches. So Pinnock, uh, while he can be beaten, uh, most of the time he wins those battles on the outside. So this is going to be a very challenging game for Miami's offense. I think it's going to start with trying to reestablish the run. Rhett Lashley talked about that today in his press conference with us over Zoom that you know, getting back to the running game, being more successful on first down is really going to be a big key for Miami in that game. But I'll tell you this, Pittsburgh, uh, they're a good team, and if Manny Diaz is going to earn his paycheck and keep the heat off of him, Miami has to win this game on Saturday at noon. With that, let's bring in our producer, Mike Zimmerman. Mike, I know you got a ton of questions. I got to pit. Did I do a good job? I think I hit Pittsburgh in about six minutes. Was that fast enough for you? I, I think that was good, but but let let's be fair, man. He, I mean, my, Miami fans want to want to talk about the uh, you know the sky is falling, the world is ending, you know. <laughs> so I I think we kind of need to address some of those sure. questions, don't you? I I absolutely do. I'm ready for it. Uh, I know they got a lot of questions. We got hit up on Twitter. I know you sent the question out. Uh, if they if my what questions uh, Miami fans wanted us to tackle today. So let's get to it. Let's get to those questions. All right, so this is from Al on Twitter. Uh, he actually has a couple topics he wants you to talk about. Uh, the talent discrepancy between Miami and Clemson, uh, Amari Carter's targeting woes, which drive me insane, right. and what Miami needs to do to avoid any collapses moving forward. 
Well, I, I'll say this about the talent disparity. Um, I think where we saw it most in the Clemson game, besides the wide receiver position, where Miami, uh, unfortunately, has just been very underwhelming, um, I think it was the offensive and defensive lines. And I know you said this off-air, Mike, when you and I were talking, but it looked like Clemson was just so much bigger than Miami. I think size-wise, there really wasn't much difference. I just think when you're getting your butt kicked physically – and just look slow, which is what Miami did. That's what happened. And and Clemson, look, they've got a bunch of five-star and four-star, highly rated uh, defensive tackles and defensive ends and guys who are going to be first-round picks. Uh, Miami's offense really didn't have much of a chance at all. And I think the biggest discrepancy was at receiver, where you could clearly see none of those guys, D. Wiggins, uh, Mike Harley, Mark Pope, none of those guys were creating any sort of separation um, they weren't uh, fighting for balls the way that they should. And De'Aaron King was basically left hung out to dry. And I, I thought Clemson, you know, they did the perfect game plan. They basically bracketed Brevin Jordan, took him out of the game, and dared Miami to beat them with a deep throw. And they just couldn't. De'Aaron, uh look, I, I mentioned the stat earlier, 6 for 26 on throws 20 yards downfield or longer. He's also not very good uh, on, on throws in the intermediate route. He's completing less than uh, half half of those passes. He's 10 of 21 on uh, passes from 10 to 20 yards downfield. So I just think until Miami's receivers get back to being on that elite level, uh, great defenses like Clemson are just going to, you know, shut them down in the run and then force force them to throw deep, which is what Derek did, and it just didn't work out. Um, what was the second question, Mike? I want to get to all three of them. Amari Carter's targeting woes. Definitely concerning, and I think part of this too is, you know, Amari has sort of a reputation now. This is the third time in his career he's been hit with a targeting penalty. And it you, feels like so much more, doesn't it? Right, because they throw the flag. The, the referees throw the flag and then review it, and he got away with it against UAB and Louisville, but then this game, you know, Trevor Lawrence, obviously, being the player that he is, 6'6", you know, 220 and, and tall and, and everything else, uh, he, he's going to get the benefit of the doubt, I think, in a lot of those plays. And, and in the end, Amari has to be smarter. Uh, w- once the quarterback slides, and I know this is incredibly hard to do because you're playing the game at full speed. You're not, wa- you're not playing it on instant replay like we are in slow-mo. You have to just be smart, and I know – uh, Trevor at times can keep running on a play like that. Well, once he hits, you you, you kind of have to throw your arms back. It's almost like <laughs> just dive completely out of the way, jump completely out of the way, and do your be- do the best you can to not hit him. Because at that point, there's no point, right? Once he slides, and you go back and you look at that play in slow motion like we did, Amari lowered his his forearm kind of hit him with his forearm and maybe that was just sort of his way of bracing for the impact again like you just you have to avoid those situations if you're Amari Carter because you're too valuable Miami needs you on the field and when you get hit with those targeting penalties and you end up having to miss the rest of the game uh, and put a freshman and and Brian Balaam out there really exposes you And, and I thought Miami actually got pretty lucky I didn't think Brian Balaam got exposed at all uh, I thought the linebackers did, but in the end, um, you know, Amari Carter's got to get that right. Go ahead. What's the third question? What Miami needs to do to avoid any collapses moving forward? Well, you hope – I mean, that's that, that really comes from leadership inside the locker room because I think the, the collapses that we saw last year, a lot of it had to do with poor leadership on the offensive end and you not having the kind of quarterback who can lead your program – and, and keep them focused on the task at hand. I think 
you know, Miami at times last season, it, whether they, it was a win or a loss, they came out and they just didn't have the right attitude. At the end of the year, it was off. It was after those three consecutive wins over Pitt, Florida State, and Louisville, where they kind of started drinking the champagne, right? Um, and and Jaron Williams and company just, I don't know what it was. They just they got drunk off of that success, and then they fell asleep against FIU, and then it steamrolled into Duke, and then Louisiana Tech. Uh, I think in this case. You know, I think Miami understands that they lost to the best team in the country in Clemson, and I think that there is a focus and a belief that um, this team is better than that. They're not going to fall apart, and Manny Diaz said that. This is a different team. He said that right after Saturday's game. So I think for Miami fans, that's going to be the ultimate test of this season is can this team handle failures and success, and can they continue to keep their focus? On Saturday, they got beat by a better team, but this week against Pittsburgh – Certainly, if you just put the the roster side by side and say four star, four star, five star, five star, and look at the talent that way, Miami's still a more talented team. As good as Pittsburgh is at getting after the quarterback, and they lead the nation in in sacks uh, and tackles for loss, you still have to say to yourself, Miami should be better than Pittsburgh. Um, they don't have the guys on offense necessarily that should light Miami up this week. Well, are the Hurricanes going to play defensively the way that they should? Are they going to keep this a close game? Or is De'Aaron King going to have to bail them out again? I think those are the those are the things you got to look for the rest of this season. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, so a couple concerns here. Wide receivers and linebackers um, kind of touched on that, um, mm-hmm. I, and I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that with uh, with Roddy coming up in a bit. Uh, and then also penalties. I mean, they, yeah. that was the most undisciplined we've seen Miami in a while, and it seems like that's the, that's the consistent issue with this program that they never seem to fix is the discipline and the penalties that just constantly kill them. Yeah, I wrote about this in my story for The Athletic on uh, Sunday that came out in the wee hours of the morning Sunday. Um, But specifically to the penalties, 15 uh, in this game. Obviously, uh, you had several targeting calls uh, that were included among that. But um, really, it's the pre-snap penalties that, to me, is is killing Miami, especially on first down. You go back and you look between the false starts, illegal formations, illegal procedures, that's just far too many. And and as an offense against Clemson, I understand, you know, it's a new environment, you're on the road, but there's not 100,000 fans there screaming at you. There's They had 19,000 in attendance. And Manny Diaz talked about it after the Louisville game. It kind of raised my eyebrow, like, oh, it was weird for our players. They weren't ready for that atmosphere. I'm thinking to myself, 
man, like, are you guys really that mentally weak that you can't stay focused when 19,000 are in, in the crowd? Uh, I, I would tend to think that you'd have fewer of those penalties because you can actually hear each other on the field. But maybe that's just a problem for Miami. Look, in the end, uh, penalties didn't beat Miami on Saturday. Um, Clemson did. They beat them resoundedly with, uh, with the final score that it, the way it was. But your overall point, Mike, they have to get better and they have to stop creating these careless penalties between the targeting, the unsportsmanlike conducts. All of those things have to be sort of eradicated here the rest of the season because it looks like a team that just isn't disciplined, that isn't ready. Um, and I think Manny Diaz has to do a better job. Those penalties should be cut in half this week against Pittsburgh. So uh, I think we got time for two more. One is more of a s- statement. Um, actually, I'll turn it into a question. Why does Miami? Why is Manny Diaz struggle so much after bye weeks? It, it seems like the longer he has to prepare, the worse his team performs. Now, I've got a question: Is this because when it's week to week and no time in between, it kind of just like you let your players play and that's it? Where you have the extra week, you're kind of, you know trying to trying to out coach yourself is that is that a possibility because it, it's turning into a, a theme it's it's not it's not a just a coincidence anymore i i, I believe is what oh and four after bye weeks now yeah you know it's funny i asked manny diaz that question and anybody who tunes into the youtube uh broadcast of of these interviews that that are eventually put on youtube uh, off of zoom They'll see that Manny really didn't like my question. He called it sort of a narrative that's out there, and he didn't think it was fair because this is a different team and a different season. And and he said Clemson has you know Clemson's obviously a great team. I'll say well, here's this: a, here's the th- here's the th- here's the thing, Manny. When it, it, it's not a narrative and it isn't a theme, when when it's a when it happens with different teams, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? He can right. say that these are all different teams. But, it, but there's one consistent and there's one constant, and that's him. Yeah, it really is. And I was actually texting back and forth with another reporter about some of the things that Manny said and and just talking about this whole this whole deal with being on four and unprepared. The one thing that really startled me post-game that Manny said was, you know, the question was asked, well, why did you have so much trouble running the football? And he said, well, we had to see what kind of defense Clemson came out in. And, you know, they were bringing run blitzes, I'm thinking to myself, you had two weeks to prepare. Like, did you not did, – did, uh, did their defensive coordinator, Brent Venables, throw something you really had never seen before? Like, it had to, it had to have been on tape somewhere. It's not like Clemson uh, threw some exotic front that nobody in college football has ever seen. And so that, to me, was the baffling part about it. It's how well do you prepare. And I'll tell you this, Rhett Lashley today, uh, as we record this now around 3 p.m., uh, on on Monday, Rhett Lashley today in his Zoom earlier today said, look, we got our butts whooped in every single phase. And he said, me too, you know, in, in the coaching matter of it. Uh, look, Clemson was bigger, stronger, all those kind of things up front. But still, to, to have to sort of make those adjustments and not be prepared for, you know, to have two weeks to prepare for Clemson and then to look that bad, especially when it came to things as simple as running and needing to see what they were doing. I just don't get that. I think you have to be faster. You have to be able to make adjustments. And I didn't see any adjustments. Clemson just dominated from start to finish. And I think uh, I think Manny Diaz has to show up. The, the next time they come off of a bye week, which, by the way, I think that's on the road at NC State, 
a pretty good NC State team, not a terrible NC State team. Miami's going to have to show up, and they can't wait till the second half to sort of figure things out on offense. All right, here's here's one last question, um, and uh, this is actually one if we wanted to, you could do an entire episode on. But the mm-hmm. financial gap between Miami and Clemson. In college football, Clemson has the highest paid head coach, highest paid assistant coaching staff, on top of a much bigger football department with more player development coaches and analysts. Miami is a private school with limited funds. Is that a reason? Is that an excuse? How does Miami address those deficiencies? With all that said, let me hear your takeaway. <laughs> Well, I'm not going to blame it all on the money um, because I feel like, especially the way uh, funds are sort of distributed now among the Power Five conferences with TV contracts, Miami's making good money now. That's why they went to the ACC, so that they could get a big cut of the paycheck. Um, Look, Clemson's got more resources overall, I think, as a program, but that's not the difference between the programs right now. The difference is the coaching. The difference is the fact that Brett Venables uh, decided to stay there to be a part of that, yes, they're paying him $2.4 million to be the defensive coordinator, which is more than anybody else. But, I mean, the, the reason it's working is because Dabo Swinney's a good coach, and he, he knows how to hire good coaches and, and to keep them there. And I don't think Manny's problem and Miami's problem has been keeping coaches. It's not like they've been losing coordinators left and right because they can't afford them that's not the case at all the problem is they just don't win the coordinators they do hire don't get the job done i mean if you've been paying attention for the last 15 16 years name me a coach who's come into miami and revolutionized the game none of them have i think Rhett lashley is probably as close as you get because he went from one style of offense to a completely different one that had success in miami's first three games but the the reality is uh, it, it's not because Miami doesn't have the money to pay coaches. I think the reality is now Miami just hasn't done a good job hiring coaches and getting the most out of their players. Uh, there's some good players that have come to Miami and haven't developed, and that's ultimately what this comes down to. Clemson's budget uh, when they hired Brent Venables wasn't $2.4 million. That's what they had to pay to keep him. But when they got him, he was going for the going rate that every most other coordinators go for. So it's identifying the coaches at the beginning, and then paying them to keep them there. That's what Clemson did. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. All right, so we're going to bring somebody in here to talk about uh, the Miami Hurricanes and where they might rank now among these ACC teams now that we've seen that that Clemson handled them pretty easily. I brought on a a friend here, Roddy Jones, uh, who is an ESPN analyst for the ACC Network. He's also got a podcast. Roddy, you and I talked uh, in the preseason about this Miami Hurricanes team, and we thought, okay, Derek King, Rhett Lashley, this actually might be something uh, special this year, that Miami actually could take a huge jump. And we knew that Clemson was still going to be there, but then they go out on the field, everybody's hyped up over this top 10 matchup, and, and Clemson pretty much kicks Miami's butt, 42-17. to 17. I'm curious what you took away from that game, and what level of disappointment should Miami fans have after that result? 
I, I think the disappointment should be slight. There, there certainly is, is, is no pride in getting blown out the way you did against Clemson. Uh, but I don't think there's any shame in it either. I mean, Clemson is a team that has clearly established itself uh, significantly above the rest of the league until proven otherwise. So uh, I don't think Miami fans should be all doom and gloom and despair. You still have an opportunity to, to win out and to potentially face Clemson again in the championship game. Uh, and, and the fact that Miami doesn't play Notre Dame, you would think that if, if you take care of business every week, it's going to come down to that December 5th date with North Carolina. Uh, that, that could be the deciding factor. So um, I, I think Miami fans should still look at it as, hey, we, we still have an opportunity this year. My, my takeaways from the game were Clemson, Clemson was prepared for the stage and Miami is, is still aspiring to, to show that they belong. Clemson, I, I thought the worst thing that happened to Miami happened the week prior when, when Clemson did not perform well against Virginia. So you knew that it was going to be a one hell of a week of practice for Clemson. And they have a history of after subpar performances, just absolutely dominating, refocusing and dominating. And, and, uh, and that's what you saw. You saw a talent differential really across the board. Um, and, and you saw an attitude differential. This was a Clemson team that was out to prove that they are the dominant force in college football. And Miami's just not quite there yet. They needed something good to happen early to show that they belong. And Clemson made sure that that didn't happen. So, uh, so uh, you know, it doesn't really change the way I evaluate Miami all that much. I, it just shows that they're not quite ready for primetime. Yeah, I think that's the thing. When we all talked about, you know, preseason expectations, there were a lot of people who weren't very high on this Miami team, who didn't think much of Derek King, uh, didn't think much of – uh, Rhett Lashley, I know you and I did. We talked a lot about it and thought, okay, this might actually be a team that's pretty good. But I think most casual fans were like, well, Miami was 6-7 and seven last year, right. right? I mean, they weren't very good. And how's Manny Diaz going to fix this so quickly? But yet expectations change. We know we know that, right? Um, in the end, I, I thought just watching them on film and, and reviewing it a little bit, I think really the, the biggest areas were up front, offensive line, defensive line, and then receiver for Miami. When you can't create any sort of separation or win 50-50 balls, I think that was really the difference in the game, and, and Clemson could just sort of clamp down on the run, and you make Miami one-dimensional, and most teams are going to beat them. All that said, the rest of this conference, Pittsburgh, Virginia, North Carolina, Virginia Tech, that's who Miami has to sort of emerge from the pack mm -hmm. from. They have to sort of prove, I think, and they haven't. They haven't done it. They've done it once in, in, in the 15 years they've been in this conference to get to the ACC title game. Um, but assessing Miami, looking at Pitt, looking at their future opponents, where do this? Where does this Canes team sort of fit in in your mind? Do you think they are more talented than the rest of the teams in the ACC aside from Clemson and maybe even Notre Dame? I think the, they're more talented top to bottom than everybody else in the ACC. Um, the closest would be uh, North Carolina after them. And, and I think North Carolina's depth is still a question mark. But but top-end talent-wise, I think North Carolina is the only one that's in the conversation. Virginia Tech is sort of a sum-of-their-parts team to me. They do have talent, but there's not the top-end. There's not the Derek King, the Brevin Jordan, the Jalen Phillips, the Sam Howell, the De'Ami Brown, the, the Chas Surratt. There's not that caliber player uh, for Virginia Tech. 
I, I, I do want to go back to something that you said on the comparison to Clemson, because I think the question coming into the game was, could Miami's receivers have a day? We knew that like, when you match up Clemson's DBs against Miami's receivers, you knew where the advantage was, but you needed them to have moments in that game. And Darion Kendrick and Andrew Booth were fantastic, uh, which they really have been all season. You knew that the Miami offensive line was going to be overmatched, and Clemson moved a lot. They showed an odd front look, something that they hadn't really shown a lot this year. They showed more last year that I think might gave Miami some troubles. Um, so so th- those are things, though, that are going to be corrected in the future. But looking at this year, I, I, I agree with you that Miami is more talented than everybody with the exception of, uh, of North Carolina. Because even when you look at Pitt, Pitt's got really good defense. Offensively, the most talented players are young. Um, Israel Abaconda, the running back, uh, Jordan Addison, the receiver, both freshmen. Kenny Pickett's good, uh, but had a subpar week last week, so it's kind of up and down. Um, so I think Miami should be favored in all the rest of the games. Virginia Tech is sort of a toss-up to me because if they're at full strength, I think they're a lot better than what they showed last week against North Carolina. Yeah, I, I agree. I think North Carolina is ultimately going to be the toughest test for Miami in terms of what they bring offensively to the table with Sam Howell and those running backs and the receivers. I think it's going to be really challenging for Miami in that game because, (coughs) excuse me, I still feel like there are some deficiencies on the defensive side for the Hurricanes, particularly a cornerback. I know that those guys played decent uh, against Clemson. I didn't think that was the problem that the linebackers were were sort of the bigger issues and being able to stop Travis Etienne out of the backfield. But you look at uh, the pressure and the sacks, uh, between Jalen Phillips and Quincy Roche, I would think that they match up pretty well against everybody else. It's not like anybody else has a, a, a real dominating offensive line. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how, how how the season sort of progresses. I guess for you, Roddy, you know, Miami fans are so used to being disappointed lately. You know, it's <laughs> sort of like they, they go out and they lose, they've lost two in a row to Duke. They lost a 3-9 and nine Georgia Tech team. The question people are going to start asking if Miami loses another game this year is, is Manny Diaz ultimately the right coach? Mm. Because that's what everybody's going to focus on. It's, hey, this guy continues to not beat the teams that Miami's supposed to. He said today that that's a narrative we are all pushing, that Miami is more talented than the other teams in the ACC. But you just said they are, right? I mean, the rest of the teams on their schedule. Um, If Miami loses another game this year, doesn't make it to the ACC title game, should people start to question if Manny Diaz is the right coach here? I don't think so. I think with with what he is doing on the recruiting trail, he's going to solve some of those issues. Uh, because the, the thing is, Miami is more talented than than the rest of the teams on their schedule, maybe with the exception of North Carolina. But they do still have some big flaws that that can be exposed by teams. That offensive line being one, if a if a team can can uh, corral Derek King and not let him run, and then take away Brevin Jordan, are they going to be able to win the game? Uh, that's a big question. Uh, so I, I think those the, like the receiver position, the offensive line. Um, and then, you know, I, I think the linebackers and the corners have played okay, but they're certainly not the strength of that defense. I think there could be an upgrade there as well. Um, so you're going to have to give him an opportunity to recruit and get those guys in because while they are more talented, they're not like, they're not Clemson more talented than everybody else. They're, they're, they're marginally more talented. And, and Miami's schedule 
is harder than what it first appeared on uh, when it first came out. NC State's a better football team than I think we thought coming into the season. Uh, Georgia Tech is a better football team uh, than we thought coming into the season, as long as they don't turn the ball over. I mean, Georgia Tech is top five in the conference in offense right now. Uh, and, and I don't think a lot of people would have known that. And that's without Jordan Mason, who, who we thought was going to be their best player coming into the season. So, so those two teams being better does make it tougher. Uh, I, I think that, that this is a year where you didn't have a lot of spring ball. You didn't have much of any summer. You are having to play 10 conference games. Getting out of the conference eight and two is really good. And, and I, don't, I don't care what you think of the conference. I don't care um, you know, how you feel about the talent in relation to the rest of the team. The truth of the matter is getting college players to play at their best every single week just isn't realistic. And if you're not so much more talented than everybody else that you can just roll it out there and play like Clemson is, you may have a slip up or two. So no, if, if they were to drop another game or even two, like I don't think you should start questioning whether or not Manny Diaz is the right guy. Schematically, was there anything Miami could have done offensively to have more success, or is this just you know kind of the deal for them in your mind? Oh man, um, it was so tough for them to get in any sort of a rhythm because Clemson did a really good job of not only stopping the run on first downs but creating negative plays. Uh, and, and what allows you to do that is the confidence in those corners uh, and safeties as well to lock up the Miami receivers. As good as Brevin Jordan is, uh, if you, you, can, you can scheme, if you've got a blitz coming or some sort of stunt, you can scheme taking away him as a read and then forcing the read to be on the outsides where those corners are. So, so that's a good question. I, 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 you know, they were just so physically dominated that I don't, I don't want to point to anything and say, hey, that would have been the magic that would have been the magic bullet. That would have been the magic pill. Um, I think it is an attitude thing, and I think it it is it is a it's a skill thing um, because Clemson played great and they looked excited to be there and ready to punch somebody in the mouth. And Miami looked like they they did not look like the the aggressor. Well, Clemson did, and once that happened, it kind of set the hierarchy in the ACC really quickly. And as a player, you know when you go out there, you get hit in the mouth. You're like, "Man, we're overmatched today. Like this is just, this isn't going to be it." So, uh, so I think that's kind of part of what happened. What I found hysterical was everybody was sort of saying, "Ah, Clemson, they've just got Trevor Lawrence and Etienne. They got the two best offensive players in the country." But beyond that. Look at their defense. They're so young. They're so young up front, and they've only got one cornerback back who was a starter. And I think they just came out, and and maybe I'm wrong, but do they look like the number one team in the country in your mind? Do they look like they should be where they're at? Yeah, they, they absolutely. Especially um, when when you watch earlier in the day, and Alabama gives up 600 yards to to Ole Miss. Um, uh, yes, we 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 all did say that, and I, I said it too. You know, Clemson has some questions that need to be answered. That did not make me doubt them at all because while we don't know the names of these guys, like that that roster is by far the best in the conference. It is. It's one of the best in the country because of what they do on the recruiting trail and how they develop. And that defense, legitimately, and I, I'm not I'm not being hyperbolic here, may have five first round picks on it. I think both of the corners have a shot to be first-round picks. I think the two D freshman defensive ends or defensive linemen, uh, Brissy and and Miles Murphy, have a chance to be first-round picks. Um, and, and then and then I think you could get another one in there. Maybe it's maybe it's one of the uh, maybe it's one of the uh, second one of the other secondary players. Maybe it's a linebacker. Maybe it's one of the older defensive linemen. Like I think you could legitimately have four or five first-round picks on that defense. 
which would make it one of the most talented defenses in the country because you just don't have those walking around. So, so yeah, Clemson absolutely passed the test. They look like the best team in the country to me. And that's why it makes them a that, – that, it's a measuring stick game to me, except for when it goes like this. Like, if Miami had performed well, you would have elevated Miami. But I don't think you penalize Miami for – going out there and uh and performing and and having the type of performance that clemson makes everybody have when they're interested yeah it's amazing to me uh you know you look at that roster one of the stories i wrote leading up to the game last week was how clemson's been ranked in the ap top 10 for 81 consecutive weeks now it's 82 consecutive weeks miami's record uh from 1985 to 1993 they were in the top 10 for 137 consecutive weeks which is which is the record for college football, you think about you know all those great Alabama teams and Notre Dame back in the day, and even Michigan when they were were really really good. Miami has set the standard for being a top ten team, and yet you look at this Clemson team, and I don't I don't think they're going anywhere anytime soon. Like that roster, you talk about the freshman defensive lineman. How about that quarterback uh, who came in and and is basically going to take over next year for Trevor? Do you see any weaknesses? Is there any way that this Clemson run comes to an end here in the anytime soon? I, I don't. I don't think so. I think culturally they are set up for to handle the success. Um, I think from a recruiting standpoint, the one position that I think they are going to have a drastic step back next year is running back because Travis Etienne is probably the most underappreciated player in the country because he he may be the best player in the country. Like that dude is otherworldly at the running back position. And as good as Trevor Lawrence is, DJ Uyunglele is going to step in and he's going to be the cam. I'm glad you said it. Thank you. Yeah, I've been, <laughs> I've been practicing all season. Uh, he's going to come in and he's going to be like a Cam Newton, Ben Roethlisberger type dude, like 6'4", 6'5", 240 pounds and can run, uh, mm-hmm. can sling it. Like that dude's going to be incredible as well. Receiver-wise, they're going to be fine. So I've got question about the running back position. But over time, Clemson has has morphed to fit their strengths. And so the next year, they may not be the, as strong at running back, but they'll be great at receiver because those dudes – are are six three plus and can run like the wind. Uh, they'll be great on defense because of those defensive linemen, like we talked about. So uh, Clemson's not going anywhere, no. And everybody else has to get to their level. And I still have faith that Miami can get there. You do it through recruiting. You do it through culture. You do it through stability. And just like Clemson, like this thing, there were there were times where Clemson was trying to get over the hump and they kept hitting that ceiling of Florida State. Uh, they kept hitting that ceiling of of avoiding the upset. They showed a couple – they got blown out by West Virginia in, in the Orange Bowl. Like, they had those setbacks over the course of building. So, for Miami fans, you you this year has been a step forward. You just got to keep taking steps forward. It's not going to happen overnight. Like, LSU seemed like it happened overnight, but they had the talent to take advantage of, a, of a, an incredible uh, group of coaches and a year in the SEC where Joe Burrow was ready to take over. They had all everything set in place to have that ascension. Mm. Miami doesn't have that. So you have to build it so that when you get when you have that year where everything kind of comes together, you can take advantage of it. Yeah, I think Miami fans were really hoping that that's what they were going to do is catch, you know, sort of magic in the bottle here with De'Eric King and Rhett Lashley the same way LSU did with with Joe Burrow and, and their coach. Uh, you know, it just sort of like this feeling of, okay, uh, maybe, maybe we can make a run this year. It's 2020. Teams are down. Everybody's dealing with something. And yet – 
the deficiencies were really there, especially at the wide receiver position. I mean, LSU's receivers were so unbelievably good. And I think it just shows you that, you know, through recruiting, Miami has a lot of holes to fill. And I would say the other part about it for Miami is the quarterback position. They don't have a quarterback recruit in this next class. Yes, they have Tyler Van Dyke, who I know the coaches have been raving about. But to me... You know, I looked at this season with my with Miami saying, okay, they went out and got the kicker they needed. They went out and got a good right tackle. They went out and got a quarterback. They got a, another defensive end. But those are sort of like patches. Mm-hmm. Do you have any faith that there is enough young talent on Miami to sort of sustain where they are right now and, and be the kind of team that hopefully contends to get to the ACC championship this year and then follows it up with another solid year next year? Um, uh, next year, the next year question, I think is a valid one because you could have a mass exodus, um, from Miami squad that, that could leave you behind. So, so I think going into next year, we're going to kind of have to set expectations based on who they're able to bring in. I, I like the fact that Manny Diaz has evaluated from a transfer standpoint, as well as just about anybody in the country. I mean, you know, the transfer mm-hmm. situation better than I, but off the top of my head, like there haven't been any super glaring misses. I mean, you can point to Tate Martell. Just Tate Martell. But, yeah. but even that <laughs> even that was a really low-stakes transfer. Like, if he turns out right. to be good, it's great, but you're not staking the quarterback position on him. Maybe they kind of were, but but, 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 either, <laughs> but either way, like, that, that one was kind of, um, to me, sort of a no-lose situation other than the hype that came around it. But out of that same transfer class, you got Jalen Phillips and Bubba Bolden. So I would consider mm-hmm. that, like, I mean, those are two home runs. Bubba Bolden's been as good a player on defense as there is in the league this season. And Jalen Phillips has obviously been disruptive. So um, I think, think, yes, the the talent is there to make a run. Next year is a different story uh, because obviously you're going to get you know, potentially Brevin Jordan leaving. You're, you're, you have the potential for Derek King to leave. Although all of these guys have a free year, so they could come back. Quincy Roche, Jalen Phillips, Bubba Bolden, um, you know, some other players on that defense. Nesta Silveras had a nice beginning of the season. So, what kind of grade does he get? Um, you could have to go through a significant amount of change, and we'll set expectations based on that. But this year, the talent's still there. Like everything that we saw leading up to Clemson is still valid. This offense mm-hmm. is still going to put up numbers. They're still going to put up yards because not everybody's going to have Clemson's talent. Nobody else is going to have Clemson's talent. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, I honestly can't wait to see how they rebound because that will show how, how, um, how deeply rooted the leadership change has taken. You know, how, how the impact of Rhett Lashley and Derek King, what they have uh, on the psyche of this team coming off of a, of a pretty embarrassing loss. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting how the rest of the season goes because that uh, that is obviously going to lead into what happens next year. It's going to affect recruiting, whether or not recruits decide to stick with the program as good as Miami is sort of recruited here uh, through up to this point. Uh, I think there's always the, the possibility that if they lose two or three games here that most people think they shouldn't, there will be some jumping of ship and, and some guys who certainly say, hey, Manny Diaz isn't the right coach. I know you feel differently. I know that I still have sort of you know, wait a wait and see approach with Manny. I want to give him the benefit of the doubt because I think he did everything he was supposed to do. He hit it on the transfer portal. He changed the offensive coordinator. He brought in a new offensive line coach. I think in the end, this is a personnel issue, as you said. They need to get better. And I think Miami fans have to sort of settle into the idea that it's going to be probably two or three years yeah. before you're on Clemson's level. I mean, two or three solid years of recruiting. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the reason that I'm buying into Manny Diaz, all the things that you said, 
he he addressed their deficiencies in the transfer portal. Almost more importantly, he recognized the the miss at offensive coordinator and changed it and got a rock star. I think the other part of that is the 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 early success of the season and how good they looked may have led to those enhanced expectations for the rest of the season. And the comparisons to LSU are easy, but LSU had 14 guys drafted off that team last year. Mm-hmm. 14. Like I, Miami doesn't have that. My and that that is that is why when you get a Joe Brady, you can have a an ascension the way that that LSU did. You know the receivers were sitting there ready to go. The cornerbacks were sitting there ready to go. The offensive linemen they had drafted were sitting there ready to go. Obviously, the rehab of Joe Burrow was probably the biggest story, but Clyde Edwards-Helaire was sitting there ready to go. That that talent was there, and Miami's got some of it, but. Uh, there's there's places where obviously they're missing it so um while i think the expectations for miami fans should should always be high like don't let those go down because that's what makes you miami you have to be somewhat realistic when comparing yourself to that level of team when comparing yourself to the greatest football team that we've ever seen in college football which is lsu last year or the premier program one of the two premier programs in the country which is clemson I think a better comparison is is how Miami and North Carolina progress over the next few seasons because North Carolina is going to be a behemoth and Miami is going to have to keep track with that. That's going to be sort of the better barometer to me over the next few years because both of those should continue to ascend together. Roddy, thank you for coming in and, and being a psychologist for all these uh, Miami Hurricanes fans who needed one after uh, – after that loss on Saturday, I know many of them were feeling down, still feel down, and they're and they're worried that this Miami team is not going to show up against Pittsburgh and it's going to revert to six and seven and seven and six and all that mediocrity that they've uh, that they've grown accustomed to and and don't want anymore. Well, I am Atlanta sports fan, um, so I am used to rehab. I'm used to to the psychology part of it. And uh, to be quite honest, I don't I don't believe that Clint, that Miami's going to come out and play flat against Pitt. I think I think if anything, that what Derek King has showed you, he's a competitor, and so I expect that offense to be come out attacking um, on Saturday against Pitt. But we will see, Manny. It's always a pleasure to be on with you. Thanks, Roddy. Three hundred five, nine five four, five six eight. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.